Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am privileged to be joined by Reb Moshe Silk, the translator and annotator of a brand new three-volume set of Kedusha Slevi Alatayra, a groundbreaking work, Reb Moshe, a work of many, many years, I believe you told me 30 years, 30 years of work with a, with a team. And here we are celebrating a, a monumental release. So we're very excited about it. First of all, a tremendous mazel tov to you. I'm sure it feels like a, a burden has been lifted <laughs> from your shoulders. You've been carrying this for so many years. You, you had your eye on the ball. You wanted to do this project. You undertook it. And uh, to, to see Art Scroll Masora now release this, not even one volume at a time, but three volumes at once, uh, a monumental set that uh, will enrich so many people is, is, is really a remarkable achievement. So, first of all, Mazel Tov. thank you so much for having me, Rav Yitzchak, and I'm still processing. <laughs> so when I wake up in a couple of weeks, I'll let you know how I feel. It, it really is, um, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to behold the fact that, I believe you were the one who told me that this may be the first complete Sefer Hasidus released by Art Scroll and the Masora Heritage Foundation, which alone tells you something about, um, about the significance of this achievement and also about the times, what people are looking for, what they want to learn, uh, what they're seeking. T- talk about that for a moment and what you've seen from being so involved in this uh, undertaking. I'm sure that uh, Rabbi Zlatowicz and, and Rabbi Sherman and Rabbi Brander will correct us if I'm wrong, but it is indeed my understanding that this is the first whole Sefer Hasidus that Art School has put out. And I feel that uh, the community, the Oilam Chalisht, for, for titles uh, and, and works of, of this nature, uh, there's a demand for it. Um, there's a demand for Hasidus, and there is a demand for the type of Torah and presentation that the Kedushas Levi provides. And we'll talk mm-hmm. about this, and I'll unpack it a little bit later, but it's, uh, it's not only a safer of, of very lofty and complex thinking um, that ponders the mysteries of creation, but m- much more than that. Uh, and my views have changed in looking at it over the decades, but much, much more than that, and this is what I've been focusing on over the past year, are the very, very simple messages in virtually every, not every Torah, but virtually every shtickle that the Kedushas Levi writes of simple avoida, mm-hmm. simple amuna, simple kavana. And there is a, a predominant amount of the safer that guides and uplifts the individual in his or her avoida, simply put. Now, before we get into the safer, I would love to hear a little about your own background. Um, first of all, where you grew up, who influenced you, and whether there was a Hasidish element of that influence, especially when you were younger. Yeah. The, the story begins, uh, my connection with what I call Heimish, uh, begins with with birth. Um, I would uh, I would cover three three periods of my life, three major periods. Actually, a fourth period of Chicago, um, later uh, Washington D.C. And, and Baltimore, mainly Baltimore, um, and then Hong Kong, where I was for 13 years. But more recently, the more recent 20 years in New York. Um, 
I uh, was born to first-generation parents. Um, all of my grandparents were born in Europe. I was mm -hmm. very close with all of them, but I had a very, very special connection with my maternal grandfather. Uh, my, my oldest is named after him. He was a Yid who was very short, very small in stature, but who was an immense giant in my eyes. Uh, he was born in the shtetl of Nadverna. I, I align, I'm aligned with Nadverna Hasidis. My uh -huh. Rebbe is the Nadverna Rebbe in Borough Parker of Shlomo Leifer. And uh, my grandfather grew up in the shtetl. Uh, he came to Chicago when he was 20 years old. And I, I'm, I'm gifted to have a, a chronicle of his life because he wrote, when he arrived in America, he wrote a, a novella that talks about his family's life in the shtetl. And I have that and beautiful pictures and letters from between my, my grandfather and my great aunt and my Alta Zayed in the Heim. So your formative years were spent prim primarily in Chicago. in Chicago? Yeah. What was the Chicago of that period like? Jewish life was, uh, as I remember it as a kid, it was very single-dimensional. This is my, my recollection. It was very mm -hmm. single-dimensional. There were not nearly as many shapes, sizes, uh, colors, gradations between black, gray, and white as there are today. Mm -hmm. And as far as I understood, at least until I was older, we were Jewish. I didn't, I didn't get the, the distinctions between uh, European, inter-European issues, European, Sephardic. Uh, you know, everybody was basically Jewish. It was very single-dimensional. What I knew mainly about Yiddishkeit was my, uh, obviously, school. But outside of school, Which was? My, I, I, I attended um, uh, elementary school, public school. And I also attended Rabbi Hech's, uh, he, he and his wife, Alavishulam, ran a school in Skokie, Skokie Valley. And so, there was four public school students, like a Talmud Torah yes, of some sort? Yes, So those were the early years. And, and you he, remained in public school till what grade? Uh, basically through, through my whole education. Through high school? Yes. Wow. I, I, I was halishing to switch uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, when we had moved to Miami, I, I had my eye on the, I forget the name of the school, what it was mm -hmm. called, the Torah Academy, and uh, my best friend went to school there, but our, our family circumstances did not allow it, uh, financial circumstances, and so I, I went to public school throughout. So this alone, I must say, is a revelation to me uh, for a public school educated child to have even a modicum of, of, uh, of Talmudic background, and the ability to ultimately go on to, to translate and, and elucidate such a, a comprehensive work, uh, how, do, how do we get from A to B? Uh, a couple of different steps. Uh, step number one was drive. Uh, it was something that I wanted, wanted to do. And, and just to fill in a little bit more about the background of my grandfather, he was a Talmud Chacham, serious Talmud Chacham. Uh, and I, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but when I pieced together everything today and over the years, uh, he lived in a simple house. He did not have many possessions. He definitely didn't have many sforum. But when I look at his writings, things that he wrote, speeches that he gave, he had clearly off the top of his head, Gans Shas Balpe, Gans Toira Balpe. I can share with you when we get together at my house. Um, and it was a varim kite. Uh, his father and grandfather were soifrim in the shtetl. 
they were aligned with the Nadverna Rebbe. And uh, that was a, a constant push and a constant drive of my wanting to stay connected to my grandfather and my great-grandfather. Um, as to the, the, the other dimension of your, your question, which is basically the skills and the hard skills, uh, two parts of that answer. Part number one is that I, I cannot claim and I will not claim being the translator, quote-unquote, of this work. Uh, I edited every word that's in there, um, and, uh, and I was involved in every phase of project management, but I had a team of translators, not one of whom either can claim that they translate the whole of the work, mm -hmm. but I had a group of very, very gifted translators who were with me at different phases of the work. Mm -hmm. um, but in addition to that, from, uh, I would say, 18 or 19, I've, I've, I've had a, a daily chavrusa throughout, and, and I was going to get on to the next phase, which is Washington and Baltimore, so I was able to kind of open my eyes and horizons a little bit when I attended Georgetown, the School of Foreign Service undergrad. Uh, I attended a shul called Kesher Israel, which is at the time where Herman Wook used to daven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had a friend uh, from Mexico, um, uh, Shlomo Rabinowitz, who was a, a good friend of mine, and we, we started to learn together. But it was really when I got to Baltimore uh, that I, I started to learn in earnest to to pick up a little bit of lost time, mm. or a lot of lost time. And I'm, I'm very pleased to say that uh, from 1983, which is when I arrived in Baltimore, until today, of the chavrusas that I had in Baltimore, uh, I'm still learning on a regular basis with one of them, Harav Avram Steinberg. Oh, wow. um, and uh, he's an Aries role boy. Uh, his father was one of the earliest Talmidim of the Briskaruv. Uh, and we have uh, we've covered a lot of ground over the years. Um, and that was that Nehru Yisrael that you learned with him. He he w I was in law school at the time. Uh -huh. uh, uh, Rav Avram was in Koilo at Nehru Yisrael, and I learned with him as a part of one of the city programs uh -huh. that Nehru Yisrael had. So you never formally learned in any of the Meisters in Baltimore? Not no. In, no, no. So that's even more 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 mind-boggling. How I guess you're you became self-educated. You could That's say it that. sounds like. You could say that. You were that. talking about your drive. Yeah. You know, uh, um, what I've learned is we've interviewed quite a few people in this chair, and everyone has their story, and you hear they, they grew up here, they learned in this elementary school, this Masifta, they went to that base medrash. It, it usually follows a certain formula. Um, yours is really an anomaly. Uh, I, in that sense, I I would say that every aspect of my life is like that. Oh, okay. I I call myself special. Other people call me odd. Uh -huh. But that's the that's the dynamics. Right, right. So I I went from Baltimore uh, to Hong Kong. I was there for thirteen years. You were uh, already married at the time. I was married. Uh, uh, two of our oldest children were born there, mm -hmm. and uh, I had I continued the daily shear there. Uh, with mainly with the Bahram that uh, that worked in various of the moistus in Hong Kong, and it was in in Hong Kong that I actually started this project. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you a little bit more about the 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 learning uh, in New York since I I returned to fill out that whole picture. But maybe it's appropriate to talk a little bit about how the project got started, unless you'd like me to. I, I, I want to first touch on the the Hong Kong component. Yeah. 
and I would be remiss at this point if I didn't mention many many people uh, watching this may recognize your your name. Um, you held a very prominent position in government in the federal government. I don't know if I'm mistaken in saying that you you may have been the highest. Uh, holding the highest position or something of that sort for any Hasidish person or something of that sort, right? And to it, my knowledge, and again, uh, in addition to Rabbi Brander and others who will correct me, but uh, if there is somebody out there that knows, they could correct me, but to my knowledge, I was the first Hasidish Yid uh, or Haredish Yid who was nominated by the President and confirmed by the Senate uh, for a for a confirmed position. And that I, position was I had was the what? great honor to serve under President Trump as the Assistant Secretary for International Markets, which is one of the, the largest briefs, certainly internationally, uh, that Treasury has. I was one of the most senior ranking international financial diplomats of our country. And is that a position that changes from administration to administration? It is a politically appointed position. Okay. Typically, it is politically appointed. Uh, during transition periods, uh, career officials within Treasury will, will take the position mm -hmm. uh, on an interim basis, but it is, uh, it is reserved for political appointees. And you and held that for the duration of President Trump's term? I, I entered uh, Treasury in October of 2017, and I assumed uh, this position on an interim basis, the Assistant Secretary position, in 2019, and I held it for two years. What, what was your qualification at the time for this position, and what exactly, to us laymen who don't really know what the undersecretary does, what, what exactly was involved? The um, portfolio of the Assistant Secretary for International Markets covers, I would divide it into four or five main areas. Uh, one large area is trade, uh, as finance is related. One large area is um, uh, infrastructure finance, uh, which includes development finance and export credit financing, which are, are covered by two of our federal agencies, the Development Finance Corporation and the U.S. Exim Bank. Um, it covers fintech and, and financial regulation as it impacts on foreign financial institutions coming into America and our financial institutions abroad. Um, and then in addition, although it was not in my portfolio to begin with, in March of 2020, I got a very, very big present on my desk, um, which was um, the instructions to set up effectively from scratch uh, a $76 billion, which later turned into a $94 billion financial institution that implemented uh, financial support for the airlines under the CARES Act. So oh, wow. through that work, we saved 700,000 jobs, and we kept the, the, the airlines flying during mm -hmm. COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the most pressured time in my career. Um, uh, it was uh, certainly the most fulfilling thing that I've done in my work. Um, did, you, did you receive personal accolades for, for what you accomplished? I, I, I received the highest civilian award. Uh, given by the Treasury Department, which is the Alexander Hamilton Award for Excellence um, oh. for, for all of the work that I did. And um, to get back to the, to the question of what my qualifications were, I, I would like to think of you know, my, my, my youthful energy and my good looks as factoring in, but uh, <laughs> the reality is that um, 
the administration recognized uh, at the very beginning of the term and even during the campaign uh, that China and infrastructure were going to factor very heavily into the agenda of the administration, and indeed, indeed they did. And <clears throat> I had um, practiced law for 30 years um, with uh, very large firms. My, my last position was senior partner, uh, which I held for 20 years, of um, one of the largest global elite law practices called Allen & Overy. Um, the reason why I was in Hong Kong was because of my China expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and within the law, the, the sector and the types of product that I focused on related to some shape or form of energy or infrastructure growth. I, I did financings. I helped sponsors develop projects. Um, I helped uh, companies and funds uh, buy or sell uh, energy or infrastructure projects. So I was basically tapped um, to come into the administration to lend my expertise in those two areas. And indeed, we, we, uh, we, we put some very, very serious points on the board. And I was one of the senior negotiators in the China trade negotiations. Um, and uh, drafted the first agreement that we put on the table that later developed into the phase one trade agreement that still governs our trade relations with China. And on the infrastructure finance side, I um, developed a program that the United States used throughout the world, but mainly in Latin America and Asia, to help our partners grow through uh, investing in energy and infrastructure, using mainly private capital. Um, and my transactional skills that I had developed over 30 years were the reasons why, were the reason why my, the secretary chose me to mm -hmm. develop and design uh, the CARES Act pro programming for the airlines. Now, m most of what you just discussed about your job and its nature is way beyond my pay grade, <laughs> and I'm sure most of our viewers. But, but what's, what's interesting to hear from you is as a from Jew working for the federal government in a, in a fairly high position. Um, again, you had to be approved by the Senate for that position. Did you encounter any interesting interactions in regards to Shmir Shabbos, um, you know, General Shmir's Tariu Mitzvahs, uh, you know, any, any memories from those years that you were in government uh, that would be interesting to share? Every day, every minute. Oh, really? Uh, was a was a challenge, um, and it was a, an opportunity. Um, I, my office um, was in the main treasury building. I, I feel that I had the most beautiful office in the building. Please don't tell the secretary I said that. <laughs> um, I had a, a palatial office with, with vaulted ceilings that overlooked the east wing of the White House. It was mamish, a, a stone's throw away, and there were only two things standing between my proving that. Um, number one, the windows wouldn't open for security reasons, and number two, the snipers on top of the White House were in plain vision. So I never, I never tried it, but that's how close I was. Mm -hmm. When Bibi came to sign the Abraham Accords, I saw him and Sarah walk out of the East Wing oh, wow. with their security detail after the signing to get into the cars. I was, I was on, on the White House premises for the signing. Um, but I went into the building, uh, which you know, main treasury is on the, the White House uh, campus. Mm -hmm. Uh, divided by the East Gate. 
uh, I went into the building every day uh, dressed as, as you see me. I wear my uniform wherever I go. It's called, it's called the black suit, it's called the white shirt, and it's called the tie. Um, I don't have my hat on right now as we speak. We're a little bit comfy in this interview, but I wore my hat in and out of the building every day. I was in the White House many times a week, if not daily, and I wore the same uh, uniform into the White House. Um, more or less, I don't know if you would agree with this statement, but I'm, I demonstrably look a little bit Jewish, if you know what I mean. Uh, and whether it was the legion of Secret Service that looked after the building, getting into the building, walking around in the building, who were the, the, the security detail for the secretary, who were on our, right on our floor, um, the secretaries, the admin, the janitors, or other officials of my rank or above, I felt the pressure of the world on my shoulders because I knew that people were looking at me. I knew that people were listening to me, sitting in the situation room, uh, discussing a, a matter of, of, of high importance to national security. All eyes are on you. And I felt that my every move, my every action, my every word was the difference between a Kiddush Hashem and a Chilul Hashem. Mm. And Buch Hashem, I think that we, we scored many, many points on the board. I remember distinctly uh, walking over to the White House for a meeting with a, a number of members of my team. Vice President Pence was walking out, and, and I got a very vadim agris from the Vice President. I, I didn't, he didn't know me by name, but he recognized that I was a religious individual. Mm -hmm. uh, he, I think he had heard about me, uh, and it was, uh, it, all eyes were on me. But on the, on the flip side, uh, I bring away many, many lovely and warm experiences from the job because I feel that I was able to use a lot of learning, a lot of wisdom, a lot of our sources, a lot of our approach, and more than a couple of, of a good humorous jokes um, to help lighten things up, to help mm -hmm. move things along. Um, I had many instances uh, with the secretary himself um, that I reflect on that were, 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 uh, were great stories. My, my wife uh, descends from a very distinguished lineage, uh, many, many chusheva rebbes, and uh, we, we always wanted to make a difference. Uh, so for every yuntif, we would bring, I would bring things down from New York. I commuted every week. I went mm -hmm. home from, to Borough Park in Shabbos every Shabbos, and um, Rosh Hashanah Kippur, my wife would bake lekach. So I would bring 20, 30 honey cakes down. I would send over to Jared and Ivanka and other people in the White House that were Jewish and friends of ours. And uh, every year I would bring the secretary honey cake. Uh, one year- Who's the secretary at the time? Secretary Steven Mnuchin, Mnuchin for the whole administration, okay. who, who himself, I believe, is the nickel of the Kedushas Levi, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, based on as much research as we could do. Uh, and is that something you discovered, or is that something he told I, you? I heard about it. I don't think he knows who the Kedushas Levi is okay. or the significance of it, but uh, I have a very close friend, Moshe Rubin, uh, who is a scholar in his own right of, of Mechaber Svurim and, and a, a, a very solid genealogist who has looked into the matter We've not gotten completely to the bottom of it. This is our view. So mm -hmm. I, um, I was preparing to hand over the honey cake to him in, in this particular year in a meeting that we had with him in his small conference room. 
We had a, a meeting scheduled um, for one of the regional deputates to give a report on an issue that I had been tasked to, to conduct. Uh, so we had a deputy assistant secretary and his chief economist there for the report. The undersecretary, my boss, David Malpass, who went on to become the president of the World Bank, was sitting next to me. Smallish room, a rather large table, antique furniture, and other implements that were, were owned and used by Andrew Johnson. Uh, we get in the room. We're waiting for the secretary. The secretary comes in. Uh, it's very formal. We had to place our electronics outside of the room for security reasons. There was an issue. Somebody brought their phone in, a little bit of a pause. We finally all waited for the secretary to sit down. We sat down um, and we're, we're ready to roll all eyes on the secretary, waiting for him to look up and give us the nod. As soon as he looked up, I said, Mr. Secretary, if I may, I've got one item, if I could, very important item uh, that I'd like to table before we get started with the agenda. And he looks at me, the undersecretary looks at me. And I took this beautifully wrapped honey cake and I said, my wife has instructed me to give this to you. And I pushed it over to the table. Everybody cracked up. The undersecretary kicked me under the table because I shouldn't have done it for the 10th time again. And, uh, and this, uh, this economist who was schwitzing away, you know, twice every year probably gets called in the secretary, starts to give his report. You could tell when the secretary was engaged and not engaged, was listening and not listening, and he clearly was not listening because he was fixated on this honey cake on the table. About two minutes in, everybody giving me the, the look, the secretary says, I'm really sorry, but I, I have to tuck into this cake. I think I'm going to use one of Andrew Johnson's knives, which is over 100 years old, sitting on the, on the side table. He keeps going. Another two minutes go by. He's clearly not listening. He says, gentlemen, I have to go get a knife. He walks into his office, comes back with a knife, starts cutting up the cake, and uh, we enjoyed a little bit of honey cake. <laughs> and you didn't, you didn't have to pay the price for your lack of uh, keeping to the uh, etiquette or whatever it might be. I, I, I was and am always very comfortable to bend uh, just a little bit. One always needs to know what the limits are. Right. But I feel very strongly that it's interactions like that um, that have really, truly lent to any successes that I've achieved in my career throughout, uh, mm -hmm. with, whether it's with foreign officials, domestic officials, other counterparts within the government, lawyers across the table, the personal touch, the, the varum uh, kite is, uh, is, is what I think has helped in the success. Fascinating. Now, before we get to the safer, now you, you left the uh, federal government with uh, President Trump's departure from yes. the White House. Yes, yes. Uh, what, what have you been doing since then professionally? Um, <clears throat> I, needed, uh, I needed a good couple of months to, uh, to unwind. Detox. Yeah. Um, and my mission after finishing up at, uh, at Treasury was to complete seven book projects. Uh, and this is one of them. I, mm -hmm. I put one out uh, over a year ago in infrastructure finance. Um, we've got three or four more goodies that are coming the art scroll way. Mm -hmm. um, another translation of a safer, the Nadverna safer, the Mamar Motra. And uh, I've got uh, two different projects that relate to the Rebbe Motra himself, stories mm -hmm. and lore. Um, 
and one other project about, about the policy work that I did. I'd originally wanted to focus and, uh, and, and make sure that we got these projects out the door. Um, it took a long time. We're, we're over two years past that point. And uh, I was approached by a couple of organizations, David Malpass, who was my undersecretary at Treasury and, and was until recently the president of the World Bank, asked me to join him and advise him on infrastructure finance at the bank, which I did for two years. I just mm -hmm. finished uh, at the end of June. I've been helping uh, an infrastructure fund based in Israel with one of its portfolio companies uh, here uh, in the States. And uh, most recently, I've taken up a position with a, a, a very um, pioneering uh, asset management platform called Hudson Sustainable, um, uh, which uh, works in transitional energy and, uh, and sustainable infrastructure. More right, I, would, I would say you're, you're a reservoir, a repository of, of tremendous experience and knowledge and insight in the world of finance. Uh, you could almost kind of probably, uh, am I right, that you could pick and choose almost at this point in your career, what you want to do, almost like a freelancer. I, I, I only do what I like to do at okay. this point in my life. Yeah. So that's the, you know, having that liberty um, is somewhat liberating, especially because it allows you to work on, on the things that you're passionate about, like the Caduceus Levy. So uh, I guess there's a, there's a benefit in that as well. There's, there's an immense benefit. And um, I, I feel that very strongly that I would not be, I would not have achieved the successes in law or in government um, without the work that I do in Kodesh. And I feel that I would not have been nearly as successful or even able to complete and continue the work that I'm doing in this arena without my professional side. So I, I love that you mentioned that. I'm going to segue for a second um, because I think this is relevant to many people watching and listening. We, we live in a world where some people are to spend their, their lives in the world of Kodesh. Um, most people, on some level, have to engage in Chayil for Parnassah reasons, but they want to hold on to the Kodesh also. I think that's the aspiration of every good Erlich He wants to really, that the Kodesh should be the priority, but uh, unfortunately, you know, this is the way the, the, the Rabbani Shalom created the world um, in such a way that we have to engage the world of Chayil uh, for Parnassah purposes, and I think you're a great person to provide insight and chizik in how to balance the two. Yeah, so the Goddess Israel asked me to speak about this at the last convention, and as have many organizations, I have a really simple take on, on the issue. I, I only live in one world at one time. I, that's, that's, that's the way that I look at it. Um, I, really don't, I really don't distinguish between the two, and I feel that this is the way that I've been able to, to achieve uh, greater impact in, in all aspects, in all endeavors in which I'm engaged, in that there is very much a symbiotic relationship between what I do on the Koyda side and what I do on the, on the side of Chol. Um, there's an interesting Gemara in Yuma, Rava. Uh, he, he has in front of him, uh, I forget exactly, the Lush and Chamra um, aged wine and, and fatty beef. So the question is, how, how, do, you, how do you look at it, right? Um, it's obviously something that's there to consume, yes? Um, and uh, 
one could look at it if if you're if you're a certain type of person that you would associate uh, words of gluttony uh, with those two items that I'm going to scarf the meat down and I'm going to guzzle the wine down. Rava has a different way of looking at it. He views those elements as something that will enrich and enable him and energize him to achieve higher levels of learning. Uh, In my case, my job as a partner, a a very well-compensated partner, um, afforded me the ability to do a lot of things on this project that I would simply not have been able to to afford or that I would not have been able to do by by way of infrastructure. I, I needed a massive infrastructure of Yitzchak just to manage the files. This is a 2,000-page book, okay? It's 2,000 pages. That's in print, (laughs) in manuscript. It was many thousands of pages. There, with there are over 70 different portions. So each portion was a file that had multiple, multiple drafts that was going through multiple systems and, and streams of work just to manage the files alone wow. on the computer. I had, I had secretaries, the support of my law firm. So it was um, taking what was apparently whole and, and using it to energize and mm-hmm. to elevate it, right? right? And at the same time, I felt financially rewarded in my job. Um, I felt a, a great ton of, of satisfaction in the work that I did. Uh, both for my clients, and I, I did a lot of pro bono work as well, which was extremely gratifying. Before, uh, when I came back from Hong Kong, before I went into Treasury, I, I uh, played a, a very significant role in the Agudas Israel's Pro Bono Legal Services Network. And so the, the satisfaction that I got from my work made me a, a happier, more fulfilled person that enabled me to, to really focus. Now, I didn't have 24 hours in a day, let alone two hours in a day every day to work on this project. But the time that I did have was very, very high quality, high impact time. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of this project, let's go unpack the the monumental and daunting undertaking of bringing the Caduceus Levy to the English-speaking public. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found fascinating is that Reb Levi Yitzhak Abarditchev himself did not write the Kedusha Slavi, from what I understand. It was written primarily by his students, his Talmidim, people who heard his Torah and wrote it down. And that itself presented a, a, a certain unique challenge, right? In, yeah, in, so in the, 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 like every Jewish answer, yes, yes, no, no. <laughs> uh, it's, it's correct, but it's not correct. Um, so the... Uh, the origins of the Sefer are that the, the Rebbe spoke Torahs. He spoke Torah. And uh, just like we, we have today, uh, my Rebbe speaks Shalashidah's Torah, we, we write it down. So Talmidim or his children wrote it down. Uh, they were Masader, what was written down. Uh, and the Kedusha Slavi reviewed it uh, before it was published. Um, and so it's true that he didn't write it, but they are, they are his words, mm-hmm. uh, as rendered by somebody else and then reviewed by him. And by definition, because it covered different parishes through the year, and it's not as if they said, it's a go, we're just going to take the Torahs from this particular year. It was over many years. Um, so the period over which 
the content was compiled was many years. I can't, I can't tell you how many years it was. Mm -hmm. I, I assume it's, it's more than 10. And um, you and I speak differently. We have a different perspective uh, as, we, as, we, as time moves on. on. And so the, the challenges that you pointed out were challenges of consistency in rendering uh, 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 language and concept over time. Uh, there were challenges of uh, the, 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 the Berdicheva um, making assumptions about what the knowledge base of the audience uh, would be. Mm. So he, he had a tremendous bank of knowledge, the Kedushas Levi, of, of, of Nigla and Nister. And I'm starting, I'm starting first with Nigla because he, he was not born into the Hasidic tradition. He, he became aligned with the Nikolsberger after he was 20 years old. He had already settled his, his formal formative years in learning, and he was a Guan. He was known as a Guan. Um, but there, were, there, there are many, many deep concepts uh, presented in the book, uh, in this work, and uh, there are many thoughts uh, that, are, that are not simple thoughts. Right. And so... Uh, and, and many of them were rendered in shorthand. The, the work on the book, this project, I don't want to call it a book, uh, you'll excuse me. Uh, the work on the project uh, proceeded over 30 years. So we started with a base translation. We, we, we had no idea. I had no idea. I just ran. I was running forward. So we started with a base translation. We knew that we needed to refine the translation. And then I had an, another person go over it after I reviewed it. By the time that we got to Art Scroll, 15 years later, the view at the time was that it's not ready for prime time. So I had to go back and do further refinement and let's call it unpacking. Until Buch Hashem, it was probably about three years ago, uh, through... Uh, a very close friend, Svi Friedman, Howard Friedman, who's on the board, uh, came with me. We spoke with uh, Rabbi Zlatowicz and Rabbi Sherman, and they, they reviewed it another time, the, the more revised, revised, revised version, and they said, this is ready for prime time. To get to your point, though, on, on the challenges, once we got into uh, working on a very refined product, the team at Art Scroll came to a firm view that there were many convoluted, uh, challenging concepts that needed to be unpacked. And Rabbi Brander, whose fingerprints are all over, all over this book, right? He was very adamant that the work, the product, needed to read like a shear. Mm -hmm. Every concept needed to be unpacked, which meant that we needed to elucidate within the, the, the plain words of the Kedushas Levi. And where necessary, where we hit a concept, we actually would, would, would unpack that in, in, our own, in our own way. Like an elaboration. Yes. It, so that... The, the product would result in a person who is completely uninitiated being able to pick up this volume and read through it. Now, it was 
I, I would say to you that degree of difficulty just on achieving that, and Rabbi Brander was very adamant, and he was right, and we have him to thank for uh, the content on, on this particular point, the development of this content. But in addition to that, we, we hit a number of major roadblocks. I'm talking about traveling 110 miles an hour on the Autobahn and hitting a concrete wall in, um, in layout and design. Mm-hmm. Because Rabbi Brander was very insistent that the way that we presented, because we had original word translation, we had elucidation, then we had further unpacking, that it be easy on the reader's eye. Right. I think we, we could really show, show the viewers, and people are going to go out and buy it. And this is really where we see Rabbi Brander's genius. So much of what we benefit yeah. from art school volumes is thanks to Rabbi Brander's goodness yeah. in his field. He's yeah. the master of his craft. Um, so over here, we, we get to extol his virtues, which we don't do enough. Um, but over here, what I liked very much is this. Here's the text of the uh, Ketuchus Levi. As you mentioned, here's an introduction, yes. like an introductory sentence. The text of the Ketuchus Levi followed by the translation with the elucidation where... The words of the Ketushas Levi are Bolder. in bold. Yes. And then in lighter font, yeah. you have that what you would call your elucidation. Yeah. Right? So uh, very in- a couple of very, very interesting elements, just design elements and also content elements. First of all, uh, the old story, I'm sorry I wrote you such a long letter, I didn't have enough time to write a short one. <laughs> we, we took every shtickle entry, every entry, and we synthesized and crystallized the main message, and we used that as the title of every piece. This mm, is our work. Right, but right. then in addition to Here that, this in addition title. to that, underneath the title, the framing title, we have a framing sentence which encapsulates in a single sentence the main thrust of what that thought is about, right? But then after that, what Rabbi Brander's wizardry produced is different fonts that are distinguishable, but that mesh together when you look at them. And so I, I, I can't begin to say enough how, how utterly pleased we are, ecstatic, mm-hmm. with, uh, with just the, the design element. Of That's why, besides for the scholarly component of the content, the, the presentation that we'll call it the aesthetics is just off the charts. This is uh, credit to, to Rip Shia, to Rabbi Brander. I would mention also, once we're mentioning, the beautiful cover designed by our own Rebelli Crone, who never seems to miss a beat. And, um, and of course, the, the visionary nature of what uh, Rabbi Zlatowicz and Rabbi Sherman and Rabbi Brander do as a team to, to be able to, with foresight, to see what project will resonate with the masses, what, what people will, will connect to, and so on and so forth, and how to do it. It's just another feather in their cap. That's what I would say this this latest project is. Uh, it's interesting what you mentioned before about the Nigla and the Nistar. You know, the, the revealed Tyra, we'll call it, and the hidden Tyra, uh, which people usually uh, associate with Kabbalah. These are in Yonim that are, that are beyond most people's comprehension. How did you decide which of those topics to, 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 to kind of elucidate? And then there are times when you'll mention you know, this is beyond the scope of uh, this elucidation, and, and you decide to kind of gloss over it. 
So there, there are two levels of that, uh, that question. Um, the first level is a very basic one. Uh, there were staff here, uh, Mumchas, uh, and it was mainly Rebbe Lindinsky, um, who I, I'm immensely thankful to, uh, Rebbe Brandon, Rebbe Sherman, who took the final view uh, about what uh, they felt was appropriate to keep in and what was appropriate to take out. There, there, there are not that many passages uh, that were excised. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are a couple of the Svarim that didn't have anything excised. Where there was a decision to excise content, the Hebrew remains. Lashon Kodesh is there. And it could be that it's a sentence mm-hmm. uh, or two sentences. In other instances, there might be the better part of, uh, of one thought that, that is not in there because it is, it is clearly a very deep nature of Kabbalah that deals with it deals with, with more mysteries of the world. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that 80%, 90%, uh, uh, there are so many concepts in here that I personally would not categorize as, as Kabbalah per se, as we know it, of the type of learning that we shouldn't be engaged in mm-hmm. unless we're eminently qualified, but rather is more what, what, what the present world refers to as, as general Hasidus. Mm-hmm. But that gets then to the second aspect of the question, which is how did we know what to, what to um, elucidate and what not? So there's a, there's a standard in law, which is a very simple one. You know it when you see it. Uh-huh. And uh, if our, our, our standard was very simpler, simply, Rabbi Brander's basic uh, test, it has to read from top to bottom integrally, like one thought, one concept, one sheer. And if we felt that an uninitiated reader would not follow, we would add a word, we would add a couple of words, we would add a phrase. And if it required more than that, then we have our explanations that are set off in English in between the translation. Amazing. It's amazing. I was just looking in Parsha's Kiseitze, it is. Um, I mentioned to you where where Levi Yitzchak breaks down the pasuk of Ki Kare Kansipar, and every component of the pasuk he explains allegorically, and the way it presented in the Sefer it reads so smoothly without that uh, you know kind of um, deliberate approach. It would be very hard to present it in this fashion. I, I have again, to I have to tell you in 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 that regard that. Um, I've been looking at this work for over 30 years in, in the English. And there were times when I was editing that I was just feeling like I was banging my head up against the wall. It was just so hard. Um, and I had one perspective about certain uh, parts of the work. Um, once we got into this particular layout, I felt that finally the ikr of every Torah thought that's presented in, in many instances, jumps off the page mm-hmm. um, because of the br- brilliant design. Wow. Any specific shtiklach in the Sefer that resonated with you? I mean, you've gone through the entire Kedushas Levi. You did it over a matter of 30 years. Well, what's your favorite shtikl from Rebbe Levi? So, you know, in response to, to this question, um, I, uh, 
in my younger years, I used to, I still do a little bit, uh, I used to infuse my own vodka for Shabbos in Yantiv. And I had 30 flavors. And people would ask me, which one do you, which one's your favorite, which one do you like the best? And my response always was, I, I can't have a favorite. How could you have like a favorite child? So, <laughs> you know, on many additional levels, uh -huh. you know, how, how could I have a favorite Torah? There are different days that I have a different favorite depending on, mm -hmm. on what, what confronts me. Um, I would, on a quantitative basis, uh, the Torah without a close second that I have uh, related to the most uh, and one that I have spoken on many times at, at many simchas, but I'm not going to tell you who the Bali simchas were because I don't want you to wrap me out that I used the same material more <laughs> than once, um, is uh, I believe it's the first, first entry in, in Parshas Vayetze, um, where the Kedushas Levi brings... Um, extraordinary imagery and allegory from traditional sources, from the Ramban, from other sources, from Medrash, um, to talk about actualizing the potential of the inanimate, focusing on the, on the rock that he, he slept on, which as we know from traditional sources is the Eben Shesiu, and uh, he gives the, the, the vivid imagery of the whole of the Beis Amignish. He wakes up, and this is the Shar Shemayim through which all of the Tefilas and the Karbanas are going from the Beis Amignish, that he saw from that rock. And, and the thought is about Klal Yisrael actualizing its potential. But to me, and I've used this in many practical contexts, it speaks to me that the thought has a, a ton to teach each of us on how we could most greatly actualize our own potential. Um, but what I have been focused on over the past year or so, and, and most intensively over the past three to six months, now that we're, we've gotten to the end of production, is um, I'm, I'm, I'm working on, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit. I've, I didn't uh, tell Rabbi Brand or Rabbi Sherman about this, so please don't let the secret out. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I want to do a follow-up volume on the practical wisdom of the Caduceus Levi. Uh, short thoughts of not longer than a page, each of which brings out the wealth, the wellspring of messages that the Caduceus Levi have that are Negea to each of us Oh, wow. in our daily belief and our daily avoided, because the, the, the Sefer is, is full of thought and content on, on, that, on that regard. What, what the importance and the role of truth is in our lives. So that would almost be like the takeaways, the takeaways of the Kedusha Slavi yeah. on a practical level, not yeah. a translation or an elucidation. Yeah, and, and wow. I, I'm doing that on the basis of um, my reading now, and I have a few friends that are working with me on it. But I also reflect back on uh, actual examples, actual circumstances in my own life um, where, you know, I had the Kedusha Slevi, I had the Mamre with me every day at work. I had it with me. It was on my computer. It was on my, on my mind. Um, and I was sitting in the, I'll give, you, I'll give you two examples. I was sitting in the middle of the China trade negotiations in Beijing, a very big 
palatial room filled with a lot of government officials, everybody playing political theater and reading off their scripts, trying to push the interests of the American people forward. And we had many, many challenging issues, one of which was getting access for United States and other foreign financial institutions into the Chinese market. And the argument that was coming to me from my counterparts was, you, you, don't, you don't let our financial institutions into America. You're, you're hampering, you're limiting them. So, so why should we open up to you? So little did this person know, this respected official on the other side, that I had spent over 10 years, probably 15 years, representing Chinese banks coming into the United States. Mm -hmm getting them licenses from the Fed and from the state banking authorities. I'd done my research on their asset growth. In, in, the, in the New York market from 2005 to 2017, which was when we were negotiating 2018, most of those banks were realizing double-digit growth per annum on their assets in America. But there were no there were no limitations there are no limitations on any foreign bank. So you had this information. I, I had on a non, your I, had non, I had a graph, and in one year it spiked to north of a hundred percent growth, hundred percent growth in one year. Wow. Whereas whereas the U.S. financial institutions, foreign institutions, financial institutions in China, they they were lucky if they were getting mid to high single digit growth per year. And I'm thinking to myself, what's hacks the China? The emiss is the emiss, and there is a beautiful Torah uh, in, the <clears throat> in the beginning of Parshas Barashas on this particular thought. The Medrash says how the Ibishter through the mid of truth had an issue, had Tanis on the Ibishter when, when, when the Ibishter was going to create the world. So the, 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 the God could not disagree. Aros Gevarfen emiss often velt. So that truth would, would permeate. All of, all of the world and all of society, all of our relations. And it's, it's truth, the bottom line, everything is truth. Truth is of the essence, that's my punchline mm -hmm. on that one. And I was thinking to that to myself, I was, I was schwitzing for months trying to get CARES Act relief out. And we were under extraordinary pressure. The, the world was falling apart. Uh, air, air traffic dropped 98% in, in a very short period of time. We, we had to make the program work, but we had to do it in a way that looked after the taxpayers' interest and was in line with what the statute required. So it was a lot of pressure and, and more work than we could possibly have handled. But on this last parasha on Akiv, there's a beautiful Torah thought there about the importance of simple faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and how the the, uh, the the practical reality is that God never shoulders anybody with the challenge that they can't have, and if we remember the simplicity of that, we can we can keep going. It's just simple faith. Now there's a there's a long discussion until mm -hmm. you get to that conclusion, mm -hmm. but that is a beautiful thought. And uh, a fundamental one for, for Yiddishkeit in general. Sure. Uh, that, that really helped me through. Wow. Uh, we, we've discussed so much. I'm, I'm in awe of what you've accomplished, uh, both professionally and uh, perhaps even more so uh, with, with this uh, Sefer, which will, will inspire so many people and open up uh, the doors of Tushas Levi to many people who 
would have found it, uh, you know, daunting to open it up. Maybe they weren't, wouldn't be comfortable with the original Hebrew, or we spoke about the esoteric components of it would be beyond them, and here it is presented on, on a silver platter for them. So uh, this is really exciting. Any final thoughts that you would want to share uh, with the people who are listening, who are watching, uh, as pertains to your own personal message or to the Sefer itself? Uh <clears throat> my my simple thought is to is to buy one and and give it a try. It's it's an exceptional, it's an exceptional work. Um, a, a lot of uh, energy and effort went into it to produce the uh, the product that we have that we discussed. Um, many many stages of work. Um, it brings the uh, the 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 thoughts of the uh, Fumsaragra. And and Kolakavalatoiva to whole whole different levels. There were times where we just felt like I felt how can I how can I keep going? But we we pushed on in accordance with the standards to produce uh, a a product that would be as um, user friendly uh, in content and presentation as possible in order to realize the impact of getting the, the beautiful and the basic messages about that are very relevant to our daily lives out to the readership of Art Scroll. We, in addition to the, the, the other elements that we spoke about of how we presented and the, and mm -hmm. the presentation, there's a 50-page index at the end, mm -hmm. subject and source index that Anybody that's using this uh, this this volume will find of immense. immense I should help. mention also something that I particularly have been enjoying is the sections interspersed based on where it falls out on the Seder of Kriya Satira are the sections on Yamim Taivim. I saw there's a very large section on Rosh Hashanah. Yes. Um, just recently, Tuba of a section on Tuba yeah, of, yeah. and and, and very very enlightening. So, so we, I think people are really going to enjoy that as yeah, well. Yeah, we we realized that we could not do the whole of the Kedushas Levi, but we took Alatoir and Alam Wadim, right? And as you said, we put in the 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 sections on uh, on on Yom Tovim in in the appropriate places, not limited to the major major festivals, also right. minor festivals as well. Um, there are, uh, I think, two points that I wanted to come back to. I don't know sure. if this is the right time. Yeah, so of first of all, we, we ran through um, Chicago. We ran through Baltimore a little bit on Hong Kong. We didn't focus on, on New York okay. uh, from 05 and onward. So I relocated back to the States in 05 um, it, to New York um, since 07. My wife and I have been living in Borough Park, where she grew up. and. Um, it's been a, I, I have been in daily contact with my Rebbe, the Nadverna Rebbe, Rav Shlomo Leifer, um, for well over 20 years. Um, and when I was in Hong Kong, I was in daily contact with him, but the, um, the, the physical proximity has allowed me to, to learn with him. Uh, every day and be yeah, with so you're every day. Of the uh, I, 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 I will admit, and, and I'm getting a little bit of Musser, maybe more than a little bit of Musser, um, we, we were a little bit challenged in, in keeping going uh, when I was in Washington and, and during COVID, particularly because of the CARES Act work. I've told the Rebbe that I, I really wanted to concentrate all of my time and energy on getting this out. 
we, we learn, but not as frequently now as we did. But mm-hmm. in Mir Tzashem, we will continue the daily shir. We had the daily shir going for 15 years. Uh-huh. And uh, only Gomorrah, um, but uh, we will continue it on a daily basis. And I, I, I have him and his family to thank for immense pieces of, of this and, and this work and other aspects of my life. His, uh, one of his sons, uh, who's, who's daily uh, in, uh, with us in Borough Park, because he's got a couple of different sons, um, Rav Avram uh, <laughs> expects my call two, three times a day with questions that come up. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, I, I have them to thank a lot. And of course, in addition to the Ashbav, my grandfather that I spoke about uh, a little bit earlier, um, I've been very, very gifted um, to have a close relationship with the Eichenstein family of Chicago. The Zedcheva Rebbe, he very kindly uh, wrote uh, one of the Akdamas. Um, my grandfather, when he first came to Chicago from, from Nadverna, davened in the Zedcheva Zaydish Shul, the Galicianer Shul. Uh, so the family have been uh, connected for over 100 years. And uh, and we've we've kept up the contact, and it, it was it was those me- memories of those types of people uh, that I carried with me from childhood mm-hmm. that uh, that kept the push going. Wow! So there there have been many influences. Yeah. Uh, people continue to influence you, yeah. and we're the beneficiaries of that. Yeah. So Hashem. And I wanted to yeah. g- we we didn't um, we spent a lot of time talking about the project itself, yeah. the kedusha slavi, the safer. But we didn't talk about the Kedushas Levi, the person. Oh. And um, I spent more than a couple of years writing the introduction, which is at the beginning of the right. project. Biographical sketch, it's, right? Uh, it's, it's biographical, and there is, uh, there is a, a, a few observations about the, the Sefer itself. And I, uh, I feel that that piece of the project is is very instructive and helpful to to the readers because it gives a very very clear picture of what the caduceus levy was all about um, and you, you i think that people will see that there's a very stark contrast between the berdichever the caduceus levy that they know from the lore and the stories around him nice stories uh, of Yisrael, and he's he he is the uh, the person that's constantly defending to extremes in such uh, elegant, simple, impactful ways. Um, they will see a stark contrast between that and the Kedushas Levi, the Talmud Chacham, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they will see the the breadth of his knowledge. An interesting point about him is that, as I said a little bit earlier, he he started with with pure nigla. Um, he was a Talmud Chacham in his own right before he had any idea of what Hasidus was all about. Um, and, and then he, he experienced, he lived, he was exposed to the, the beginning roots of the Hasidic movement. That was and, through the Magad of Mezrich? Shmelk of Nicholsburg. Oh, Shmelk of Nicholsburg, okay. Um, who he went to when he was in his 20s, and it was very interesting because his Schwer did not want to allow him to go to Nicholsburg, to the Rebbe. He went once, and he was awestruck, and he wanted to go again. And his Schwer said, you, you cannot go. I'm not going to allow you to go. Um, and uh, the, the Kedusha Slavi staged a hunger strike. He didn't eat until two, for two days. 
until his shver gave him rishis to go. Um, and slowly he became affiliated with and, and learned with the Nicholsberger and other of the, the tzaddikim of the time. Um, the interesting point, though, that I wanted to bring out is that he, he, for, he took his first teller when the Nicholsberger left Richtal, where the Nicholsberger was, had, a, had, a, had a rabbinate. He had a steller in, in Richtal. He took that over, and for roughly 20 years, there, Zhelechov, Pinsk, he was, he, he, was, he was a rav, he was a communal rabbi. He did not get to Berdichev until 25 years um, after he took on his first rabbinus. And that period was typified by extraordinary conflict, uh, extraordinary indignity, because of the fact, I believe, I, I, I can't say for sure, but I believe that the Berdichever felt that he was capable of walking the golden mean. He, he did not see the world in, in shades of black and white. He saw the world in, in very bright and brilliant colors. And to him, he felt that it was it was one and the same, and he could walk that path. But there were many folks that that did not agree, and and the the history is replete with a lot of interesting machloikas. Mm-hmm. He finally got to Berdichev, uh, and where he spent the last roughly twenty five years of his life. Um, I kind of look at it as he was in Gullis for a period of time, and then he finally made it. Um, but um, even in the beginning of, uh, of his time in, in Berdichev, there, there was still conflict. Um, and uh, the Kedushas Levi could have, could have been a, a very sharp person, very sharp with the tongue, contrary to what we see in the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one interesting instance that I bring out in the introduction where uh, in, in Berdichev they had many different chevras, according to trade, according to line. Each chevra had its own shul where they daven, they had their own roof, or maybe a couple of them shared a roof. And um, the bakers, the chevra of the bakers and the tailors uh, had a simcha one morning. Maybe a, a tailor and, uh, and a, a baker were machtunim, and they had an einikel, and there was a bris. Uh, the, those people and their rav, or, or maybe there were two rav on them, were very, very anti the Kedushas Levi. They invited him. They wanted to be mechabed. And they said, please, uh, we want to honor you with a bracha, tifrei bracha, whatever. So, hatar ungevinch, that the Mashiach will come soon. We should be zeichet to see Mashiach. What's that got to do with the bris, they asked him. So he says to them, you know, there's a gemura in Masech Shabbos. And it envisions that in the times of Mashiach, bread, baked goods, and malbishim, I think made of wool, will, will sprout directly from the ground. There's a Gemara. And uh, they look at him and they say, so what? He says, so if Mashiach will come and we have the opportunity to pick up the baked goods and the malbishim off the ground, we won't have a need for any tailors or any bakers, nor for their rabbonim. Mm-hmm. So he, he also, there, there is that dimension to him. One other very, very instrumental figure uh, that factored in very heavily in, in my life and my learning while I was in Baltimore and certainly after that has been Rav Yitzchak Breidowitz. He, I first got to know him as my first year contracts professor 
Um, and uh, I lived right around the corner from him for three years. Um, I found my way to his Shabbos table very, very frequently throughout mm -hmm. the year and regularly attended uh, the shir that he gave uh, at the law school um, in addition to law classes and, and did plenty of uh, separate learning with him on the side. And he's been a, a great inspiration and a great supporter over the years. And Rabbi Yitzchak today is in Yeshiva Arzameh, correct? Yeah, and he, he's an interesting balance when we talk about this whole issue of combining Kodesh with Chol and, and combining a professional life with a re religious life. During the period that I knew him, uh, he was a law professor, a tenured law professor at Maryland, and he was a, uh, a Rav at the Woodside Synagogue in Silver Spring, uh, a position that he served in for a couple of decades until he retired from both law practice and the rabbinate and uh, took up a position as a, a senior leader in Orsameach in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael. And one needs only flick on YouTube to see mm -hmm. his regular lectures. He's, just, right, right, he's right. just extraordinary. And you still learn with him today? I'm in contact with him. Uh -huh. I very frequently take advice from him. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, his schedule and my schedule are a little bit harder to <laughs> sync up. The Rebbe, my Rebbe has time for me. I, uh -huh. It's just it's just a two-minute walk from my house. Uh -huh. You pointed out that the world re recalls Reb Levi as the defender of Klal Yisrael. Um, seemingly, there's less of a focus on his scholarship, which is, I think, what, what you were alluding to, um, which I think comes across. People read the Kedusha Slavery, you see the breadth of his knowledge, both in, in, in Nigla and Istar. Look at is, the index. And yeah, Look so. at the index. So that alone will be enlightening to people who learn the Sefer, especially those who are doing so uh, for the first time. I and I, I, I mean, it, I brought the story out and I make this point in the hope that if people are very attracted to the Kedusha Slavery from the lore and the stories, which right. they should be, they must be, right? They will see a whole completely other dimension mm -hmm. of scholarship right. and of direction on basic, simple, daily avoida, perspective mm -hmm. on life that is not abundantly apparent in the stories. And that's a very good reason to spend five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, three months looking through this. There's uh, no question about it. I, I, people are going to be blown away by what you've done. Three volumes. It's a beautiful set. People should go out. You know, they should buy one for themselves and another one to give to gift to someone else, or two or three. Or a few. Kishem Shesiyamta Sefer Zu. You should be Zaycha to be Messiah. Svar Machairim, Continue to share from your wellsprings of your, your knowledge and, and your passion and your appreciation for, for all different types of Tyras. And we look forward to uh, continuing to benefit from all your wonderful work. to you and to the whole team at Art Scroll and uh, I'm very, very remiss in not giving a shkoyach to my team. Uh, yeah, we're grateful to them. Ex extraordinary translators, Rav Lazer Danziger did the original draft, Rav Moshe Wisniewski did, did decades, literally 30 years of refinement. Wow. Um, Rav Sholem Weinberg was very, very instrumentally helpful at the very end and I had a, a, a legion of proof leader, proofreaders led by a, a very gifted uh, and talented woman, Yechevet Leah Perkal, um, and a young fellow that's joined the team recently, Ben Lichman. 
extraordinary help, and I, I, I can't uh, express my thanks enough to that. So I, I, I echo that. Uh, we thank that extraordinary team for their uh, uh, crucial contributions to this project. And again, thank you, Reb Moshe. I wish you and your Rebetzin uh, continued Hatzlach and all you, you do. Thanks you for coming thank out you. to thank this you. conversation. Shkoyach.